Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limkuler, Extension Professor at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on these topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find information useful. For the next few episodes, I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Les Anderson, Reproductive Management Specialist at the University of Kentucky, to discuss how we can control the breeding season and calving seasons in our herds. We will cover some of the estrus synchronization protocols and how these tools in our toolbox can help improve the production efficiency in our cow-calf systems. Sit back and enjoy these discussions as they are timely with the breeding season fast approaching. Enjoy, and be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm joined again today by my colleague, Dr. Les Anderson, and uh, he's going to join us today to talk a little bit about uh, some basic estrus synchronization protocols and, and why people might think about doing, maybe not even protocols, let's just talk about why would you even think about controlling estrus in a beef cow, Les? We want to think about controlling estrus in a beef cow because we have a marketing plan that dictates that we need to have calves born in this window so that we can maximize our uniformity, which is you know age and weight and kind, so that we can market those cattle better. Um, and that, that is the reason to synchronize estrus. A bonus is that you get, if you get every cow in heat at the beginning of a breeding season, you get more opportunities for that cow to get pregnant in the breeding season. And so you increase pregnancy rate as well. So it is a win-win situation. We have done synchronization work for the entire 26 years that I've been here. A lot of it actually focused on synchronization and natural service and consistently in tens of thousands of cows spread throughout the entire state of Kentucky, you can expect a six to 8% increase in pregnancy rate. And you can expect a shift to about 80% of your cows calving the first 30 to 35 days. That's a pretty, That's pretty impactful tool. It's a very impactful tool. And you mentioned that, um, you know, uniformity aspect of marketing. And I, you know, from the market research that we did when I was in Wisconsin to Dr. Burdine's um, research here looking at video sales and, and the Southeast data, it is very consistent that as we increase the number of animals in a lot, we begin to see that premium up until the point that we hit that pot load size or that 50,000 pound weight break. I have a lot of people, uh, Jeff, that, that, that'll say, cause you know, we got several small producers in the, in the state. Well, I've only got 15 cows. That doesn't really pertain to me. Uh, let's do the math. Let's do the math. Let's say we synchronize asterisk before we turn the bull out with our 15 cows and we happen to get 14 of them pregnant, which is not an unusual number when you synchronize 
use a natural service and you turn out a fertile bull. So of those 14, let's pretend we get seven steers and seven heifers and let's pretend that they're born over a 45 to 50 day window. Maybe you'll have a hundred pound spread. Okay. And the first five steers were born in the first window and the, and the last two steers were born in the second window. So now you got five steers born within a 30 day period that are within 75 pounds of each other. So you have one group of five instead of seven singles that you can put together to market. And Kenny's data, your data, I mean, you're looking at 11 $12 a head added value per hundredweight. So you sell that five weight steer at $12. So you're looking at 60 bucks, right? 60 bucks per calf added value. So $300 added value with nothing different in the calves. Not a thing. And it gets more impressive. Think about that return on the investment. Exactly. The cost for synchronization before you turn the bull out is somewhere between $3 for just a single shot of loot up to $12 if you put a cedar in. Yeah. So do the math dollar per dollar, dollar return per dollar cost. There are very few things in our production systems that can get us that kind of return other than I would say castration. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's say three, $3 for $300. I think that, that would even probably push castration just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about maybe those approaches then to try and get a more uniform calf crop through synchronization because you mentioned, um, you know, a, a single shot of loot versus maybe, or lutealize versus, um, and, and that's a product name, but um, and we're not endorsing product over another, but a, a single shot of a, maybe a prostaglandin versus a, a cedar What's our approach here and what's your thoughts on how we begin thinking about this approach? You bet. So first thing you got to consider is, do you, you know, what kind of facilities, what kind of time, labor, et cetera, you have. If you've got the facilities and you don't mind uh, working a couple hours on your cows, uh, um, you know, total, um, then you can consider, you know, either lutealize or a cedar device. Next, you got to look at your calving and and your calving window, uh, the one that's maybe occurring here in the next couple of months before our May uh, bull turnout. Uh, if your cows are calving in a body condition score five or greater, and you happen to have a pretty small window already, okay, uh, say maybe they're calving in a forty-five day window, then. All you might need to do is hit them with loot lice the day before you turn the bull out. But you know how many times that happens? Zero. Probably less than <laughs> less than 10%. <laughs> so that is that's kind of a fantasy world that we like to live in. Um, and plus, if they're all cabin over a 45-day window, you, you're doing a pretty good job with your cabin window already. 
Most of the time, uh, what happens is we start calving, you know, February 20th. Yeah, yeah, we start want to start March 1st. We have a few earlies. All right, and then they drag out, and maybe we have some still calving in, in May, okay? And we want that March-April window. So what we want to do then is we want to evaluate these cows as they calve. And so anything that calves from the end of February up to the 1st of April, um, I'm really going to advise you not to do anything with them. Because in my opinion, particularly if they're in a body condition score five or greater, they ain't broke. If they ain't broke, no need to try to fix them. They're, they're going to, they're, you know, they're going to have plenty of time to return to estrus on their own. And there's no use messing with those cows if we don't need to. Cows that calve after April the 1st or any two-year-old on your farm. I don't care when the two-year-old calved. I mean, if she calved last fall, okay. But if she calved in the spring, just consider her a problem cow. Those cows are going to need either a cedar device or MGA seven days before you turn the bull out. So let's say all your two-year-olds plus cows that calve from April 1st to May 1st, we're going to feed them MGA for seven days before we turn the bull out. And you're like, well, you know, I got all my cows together. Okay, we'll feed them all together. It doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt the other cows. Well, what about the calves? It's not going to hurt the calves. Calves can eat it. Bulls can eat it. Cows can eat it. The only thing that MGA is going to impact is a cow that is going to calve while they're eating MGA, and sometimes that slows the calving process down. So I've had that's been a legit issue sometimes when we're feeding MGA. But again, 99% of the time, that's not something we really run into. And so you can handle those those two-year-olds and uh, those uh, um, April calvers uh, simply with a shot with, uh, you know, seven days of MGA before you turn the bull out. Now, a lot of times when you go to the feed store, the uh, feed store guys are going to say, ah, you're supposed to feed it 14 days. Well, uh, you know, that's old systems that we, you don't need to. Seven days is enough. I can go into all the biology, but just, I mean, it's boring. No use doing that. Just feed them seven days, turn the bull out the day after you get done feeding. If you happen to have any mayor gym calvers, um, and I assume they're going to be calving in a different pen than the breeding pen, Jeff. I'm just assuming this. Um, if they're not, you might want to consider calving in a different pen than your breeding pen. Give them two weeks after they calve, uh, and then put a cedar device in, in those cows for seven days, and then pull them out and then move them over to the breeding pasture. If that's not possible, three weeks after they calve, feed them MGA for seven to 10 days, and then move them over to the breeding pasture. Okay. And, and the important thing, if you're going to be feeding is to make sure that you watch and that they're all coming up and there's plenty of bunk space for everybody to get up and get their, their daily allotment. And every now and then, and I've, I've actually seen this, the case every now and then, when grass is really good in May, cows aren't really that anxious to come up and eat a scrap of whatever. I mean, some cows run, but I, you know, I've had people have me come out and their their cows are happy eating red clover and 
fescue or orchard grass or whatever they're there and they just they're like eh you know don't really need it and so if if that if you're part of if you know if your herd is kind of in that realm then a cedar device would be recommended for all your april and may cavers um actually i you know i prefer the cedar device um it does require two handlings one to put them in one to take them out if you're if you don't know how to put a cedar in i've got a good YouTube on our video on YouTube. It's been watched, I think 200,000, 300,000 times, something like that. And it does a, a good job of describing how to do it and talking about the Cedar device. Um, it is five times more effective than MGA. And actually the, the, the Cedar device was originally approved by FDA for this exact reason, to get an anestrous cow to cycle. That's and an anestrous cow is basically a cow that is not coming into standing heat. Yep, which is typically um, dictated by her calving, because it takes a normal cow takes two months after calving before she'll cycle again. Two to two two months in a week, right? If we put that cedar device in, we can shorten that period so those late calving cows have a chance to come in heat before they, but they before their body was planning on it. Okay, and and that'll help sh you know in, increase her opportunity to get pregnant and shorten the calving interval for her for the next year. And then once you, so let's say she calved April the tenth this year, you put a cedar in on May thirteenth, you pull it out on May twentieth, you turn the bull out on May twentieth. Okay. Well, that April 10th cow next year is going, I mean, we've got data on hundreds of cows. She's going to calve middle of March next year. So what have you just done? You just moved her from a cow that needs a cedar to a cow that doesn't need a cedar. 80% that way works 80% of the time. So it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but it's, it's better than just waiting. It's better than being random, just waiting for it to happen. Right. You know, we're taking control of it uh, instead of just letting nature happen. And uh, um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of cedars because I know every cow's got it. Every It's the natural hormone at actually natural levels. And so it does a perfect job of imitating to the brain that, that there's a CL in this because the CL is really what the brain uses to dictate that, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be cycling. I am cycling. It organizes everything. And so the brain sees that progesterone at natural levels from the cedar, and it says, oh, okay, I've ovulated. I've got progesterone now. It's time to come and heat. And so when you pull the cedar, they come and heat. And, you know, it. it is an artificial method of doing it, but it's the actual hormone at completely physiologically normal levels, which is – about as close to natural as you can get as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned and uh, it is five times more effective than MGA but some folks uh, would prefer to take the 20 minutes a day for seven days to feed the MGA compared to you know a couple hours to get them up twice you know once on Saturday then, then the next Saturday or or whatever so um, both are effective Cedars, uh, just a little bit more so. So let's let's 
recap here then, just a brief kind of quick recap. So if I've got cows that are calving early in the season, um, probably don't need to do anything with them. And it's the cows that maybe are dragging um, to on the tail end, that maybe two weeks behind the rest, that we might be thinking about doing something with, either separating them and feeding um, MGA or putting a cedar in them and trying to get them out of anestrus a little quicker. Is that a kind of quick summary? Yeah, and we can even kind of put days on it. Cows are calving that first 45 days. I wouldn't really worry about them. Cows that calve after that need need some assistance, and all two year olds, all two year olds, all the time. Just consider a two year old a poor breeder. And now the other thing you mentioned was body condition score. So um, you know, fives and sixes are those kind of ideal at calving time. Absolutely. What about these cows that came through a little rough winter and maybe are a little bit thinner than that? Uh, you know, if, if you've got a, a body condition score four cow, uh, you know, the feed from the MGA might help, uh, but the MGA itself, uh, won't really do it a ton. Um, the cedar device can reach down and get some of those. Um, so, you know, if it's 80% effective in condition score five and six cows, it's going to be more like 40% effective in your body condition score four cows which is more effective than 0%, okay? Because a body condition score for cow will, will take 80 to 90 days to return to heat, minimum. You know, the average on that's going to be 100 to 120. Now think about that. Four months, it's kind of rough to get a cow rebred in 80 days when she doesn't come back into heat for four months. And so... You're going to need to do something. Uh, and a body condition score three cow, you know, you, you can put all the cedars and MGA and whatnot in them you want. They're not, you know, they need they need food, Bo. You know, they need food. And, you know, I, I've had one situation where that's occurred. And, I mean, you helped me. Well, we, I've had two. You helped me with one. Um, and we came in with uh, some real heavy distillers and we – uh, corrected that, and I mean those cows. You remember those cows were thin, and we they got that distiller slop, and you know that we ended up with ninety three percent preg rates in that group, and uh, and there's no way they were going to get fifty otherwise. I had a situation with my dad uh, personally at home. We bought two pot loads of heifers to develop. And uh, he had some heart issues and some different things going on, and he hadn't been able to watch them very good. I get there about the middle of April, and they're all threes and fours. And, you know, might not have been the great, the best nutrition thing, but we we put them on whole soybeans because that's what we had, you know. And we fed the tar out of them on those whole soybeans, and those rascals recovered pretty pretty fast, and we were able to get them pregnant as well. So, you know, we increased the fat, we increased, you know, uh, energy density in those, in those animals and in both of those situations. Um, there are some limitations of feeding soybeans. So, you know, I'm going to leave that to, to you nutrition guys. But um, in those two situations, we were able to do it. But we didn't do those with cedars, Jeff. We did that with feed, you know. 
Yeah, there is a little, there's not a lot of work on flushing. You know, we talk a lot about flushing on the sheep side and getting those views on a higher plane of nutrition prior to breeding and hasn't been a whole lot of work done on the beef cow side, but the work that has been done has shown that we get a kind of the similar response on a cow that's a body condition score four to a cow that calves in an ideal body condition score. So that plane of nutrition from the time they calve to the time that they breed, that cow needs to be in a positive energy balance and we can then get a pretty good success rate on our reproduction. But if you, in 90% of the time, right, we, we run cows into a negative energy balance and then they're pulling body condition off to support lactation because their forage quality is limiting. And that cow, like you said, if she's thin calving, she's going to get probably thinner because the groceries aren't there far. And so that, that gets back to thinking about those young cows. You mentioned those two year olds. Remember they're, they're um, still trying to grow to reach that mature size. And they're trying to support that calf that's on them with lactating. Uh, or with lactation and their requirements are, are a tad a little bit higher and it makes it a little harder to get them to, to breed back. But let's, let's jump back in then and kind of think about bull breeding because a lot of times we, we, um, we think about estrus synchronization pro- protocols for artificial insemination, but what you've discussed here is is still on bull breeding, correct? Absolutely, all natural service. The, the first question I always get, Jeff, you know, after I give these presentations, is, "Well, how many bulls do I got to have?" Okay, I was just going there. I, I I I could sense it because that is absolutely the first question I always get. And you know, um, when we did these first trials back in the late nineties, okay. My thought was if we have to have more bulls, it doesn't make sense. So we, we tested it, right? I looked at uh, multiple bull to cow ratios, um, several thousand cows. These, these weren't small trials. There were a lot of cows spread out over a multiple year period using both cedars and MGA. And we had bull to cow ratios that ranged from one to 23 to one to 42. And we had no difference in pregnancy rates. Now, we did not have multiple um, bull to cow ratios on the same farm. So the way we designed this experiment, Jeff, is we had, let's say we had 100 cows. A hundred is a tough number. Let's go with 80. Okay, 80, 84 if we want to go to the our highest bull cow ratio at 84, 42 of them went to a bull. Okay. That had nothing done to them. 42 of them got MGA for seven days and then went to a bull. So we had two different bulls. Then we swapped the bulls, right? So 14 days after the MGA, or 14 days after, then we just swapped the bulls and we kept swapping bulls after that every 21 days to try to reduce some of the sire variability that we saw, right? But on each farm, we had the same bull to cow ratio, but you can't put the same bull in two different groups, right? So we, I mean, there was an issue there, but all the bulls were mature bulls. 
that passed the BSE and had at least a 35 center centimeter scrotum when they were yearlings. Because that's that the, the research indicated, uh, previous research had indicated from other people had indicated that we need at least a 35 centimeter scrotum as a yearling to not have issues with serving capacity. And then, of course, the BSE, I mean, you know, you got to get a BSE before your, every breeding season anyway. You know, I, you know, and there's no way in this trial we weren't going to get that BSE done because, I, you know, I mean, that's just dumb, right? And so we – every bull was a mature bull, so I knew that they, they knew what they were doing and they, they had the ability to do it. And it didn't matter if we went from 1 to 23 up to 1 to 42. The pregnancy rates were the same. Um, there were some individual sire variation, right? There always is a little individual sire variation. But, you know, the statistics demonstrated that there wasn't a difference between – there was no impact on bull-to-cattle ratio. And then since that trial, and that trial was fairly well organized, um, tens of thousands of – cattle in various programs that we've done. And the only time that, that that's not worked is when they didn't get the BSE and they turned out an infertile bull, which, you know, MGS, that's not MGA's fault, right? Or the Cedar's fault. Or they turned out a, a yearling, you know, 12 to 15 month old bull with 25 to 30 females uh, that were synchronized. And that, you know, that doesn't make sense either because that young bull's trying to figure out what to do and he's got a whole lot to do. And, you know, there's a lot of behavioral studies that have been done on, on, on bull mating behavior, but you know, young bulls haven't figured it out yet. They spend a lot of time with, with one heifer that's in heat and kind of ignore the other ones and so forth, you know, just a whole bunch of issues. And mating, mating efficiency doubles basically from the first to the second season. And uh, it's kind of like kind of like that old joke I tell all the time, you know, old bull and young bull sitting at the top of the hill and the herd's down at the bottom of the hill. Young bull says, let's run down and breed one. The old bull says, let's walk down and breed them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so it, there really is there really is an impact of that on that. And so if you're going to synchronize before you turn the bull out, you know, let's, 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 you can run normal bull to cow ratios. You don't have to worry about that, but mitigate your risk, get the BSE done. And if you're running a young bull, I wouldn't go much more than 10 or 15. I mean, just let him get his first season out of the way and then challenge him next year, you know? Um, and so that personally, that's what I would do. And that's what I advise is to keep that bull to cow ratio in a synchronized set of females, uh, with a 12 to 15 month old bull, 15 or less than everything else. It doesn't matter. And then don't forget about them because there can be, you know, they may get sore footed or they may have an injury or something like that. Right. Yep. And if you've got more than one bull. Uh, we do this uh, in a lot of situations. If you've got more than one bull, and let's say you got 50 cows you got, and you got more than one bull, two. Let's just go with two. I always get that question. Well, I'll turn them both out. 
it's not really it's not really where we want to go. It, it's a much better plan to turn one bull out, right? You know, for the synchronization, perhaps your best bull, and then two weeks after you turn him out, pull him and put the other bull in, leave that bull in for three weeks, and then sw- and swap them out one more time. Because what that does is, again, it mitigates your risk that one of those sires is infertile. Uh, and you're like, well, you know, if I turn them both out, that does that too. Well, it all depends on who the dominant sire is. If the dominant sire is your infertile wool, you're in big trouble. Because he'll breed 70% of the cows. Or he'll attempt to breed 70, 70% of the cows. And so you're going to have, you know, a 25% pregnancy rate. Because the fertile bull was able to breed 30 cows or, you know, that 30% and got 25% of them pregnant. The other bull bred 70% got 0% of them pregnant. And so, you know, if you, if you rotate your bull, I mean, there's actual research on this. It's a much better plan when you're in that 50, 60 cow range uh, to, to rotate your bulls in and out versus putting just two bulls in. All right, here's a here's a follow-up. You mentioned, you know, we got these uh, two-year-olds, um, and we maybe are managing them in a different kind of situation here. Would you suggest keeping keeping a handful of them separate in another breeding pasture um, and putting the, the younger bull in with those maybe just two-year-olds and then putting that mature bull in with the rest of the cows or what would be your approach on that for synchronization versus cows that might be coming in estrus naturally? You know, um, I don't, we don't really do much with that. Most of the time, uh, we'll sort heifers off a lot, um, you know, and have a younger bull maybe on the heifers and so forth. Any, you know, with most of the synchronization systems that we talk about, uh, particularly for natural service, if we're not syn- you know, if we're not synchronizing those cows that were calving in the first 30 days, then we're really not putting. I mean, we can go through the math, but we're really not putting a ton of pressure on the bulls. And so, um, I normally don't really worry too much about it um, about sorting the two-year-olds off. Now, if the two-year-olds are thin, Jeff, I mean, they need to be sorted off, and they need you need to keep some feed pressure on them. Okay. And so in that situation, you know, certainly, uh, um, but I, you know, I would, I, I dictate that more nutritionally than I would reproductively. Um, if your two-year-olds are considerably, you know, are considerably smaller than your mature cows and you're maybe worried about the weight of your mature bull or something, uh, might, might consider that. But, uh, typically I don't, you know, yearling heifers, uh, we, we have some considerations about, but other than that, uh, I really have, I really don't, don't have them separate them unless there's a nutritional need. That's a good point. Yeah. And then those first, you know, those young heifers that are breeding for the first time, you know, we, we gotta be cautious that we don't get a too big of a heavy bull on them and, you know, break them down potentially and some of that. But, um, so it, it's certainly doable then to, to go in here and, and synchronize um, these cows and the, we got experienced bulls out there and we, you know, get that BSE done. We're, we're not going to have uh, a reduced conception rate then by doing this. Yeah. Nope, not at all. 
and just just kind of go through the strategy again real quick. Um, and, and this time I'm going to pretend we got a 180 day window of calving so that, that it's really gotten out of hand. So we're calving the end of February through August. Okay. And you want March and April calves. So the February, March cows, not doing anything with. The April calving cows, you're either going to feed MG. I'm, let's just pretend we're doing cedars. Okay. We'll put a cedar in seven days before we turn the bull out on May 20th. So it'll go in May 13th to 19th, 13th to 20th, whatever. doesn't matter. Either way. Pull the cedar out, turn the bull, bull in with them. The cows that, that are May calving, June calving, July calving, August calving are going to have to be in a different pen, Jeff. Okay? Um, and they should be anyway, you know, for your calving management. So the cows that calve in May, um, let's say the last one calved in May 20th, uh, June 5th, 4th, 5th, somewhere in there, put a cedar in, pull the cedar out seven days later, move them over to the breeding pasture. Cows that calve in June, put a cedar in two weeks after the last one calved, pull it out two weeks later to take them over to the breeding pasture. The ones that calve in July and August, sell them as breads. They'll be great fall calving cows for somebody. You're going to be able to maximize your opportunity to capture value and there is no way we're going to get a July and August calving cow to calve anywhere near our window. So what'll happen, and this we've we've not done this hundreds of times. What'll happen is the June calves will cow in May next year. The May calves, well, May cows will calve in April. The Aprils will calve in March. All right. So then you repeat the process, and now everything's in, in two seasons. You've got every you went from 180 day window to a 60 day window you did have to sell a few cows you know you know those july and august i don't know how many of those are going to be but you know you're able to capture a little bit of value on them because you sold them as breads you know and you scrunched your breeding season up and now you've got an opportunity uh to start marketing your cattle um and and producing a product uh, a little bit more efficiently so i just i wanted to throw that out we got here toward the end because, you know, people like strategies and, 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 and that, that's a great strategy for a long calving season to a short calving season. Yeah. And it's, it's something that you can implement and, and, uh, you know, when we think about it, um, that, that cow that's calving in June, July is eating roughly the same amount of feed as that cow that calved there in April. And so when you go to sell her calf, it's, it gets lighter and it gets sorted off um you know you're just not getting the return on on that cow that you would if she calved up there in that april window closer to the rest of the cows and that's kind of what we started out with and i think you laid out a really good plan on how we might think about doing that strategy and in probably some cases if you mentioned it but if, if you've got that june july august window um you know, there is that opportunity, maybe rather than selling them, you just move those cows into a fall calving window and try to get a uniform fall calving group. Yep. 
Exactly. If you've got a fall window, it makes it, I mean, you just roll her over and off you go. Um, yeah. Get a lot of questions too on what do I do with the bull? You know, I've been running the bull in there all year. What do I do with them? You know, you can build a bull pen if you want. Um, my recommendation, you know, people, I, I have some really weird philosophies, but we, we really need that bull 90 days. That's it. So in my opinion, you should own him 90 days. That's just my opinion. That's blasphemy. I know. That's blasphemy. I'd buy him, bring him in, get him conditioned, turn him out, take him out, put a little condition back on him and sell him. You're like, oh, my gosh, we're losing a ton of money. If you do the math, it's the, it's the exact same cost per pregnancies. And you're not dealing with a bull all year long. Well, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. Okay. Leave your bull in there. I don't care. But preg check your cows. Okay. Preg check your cows and anything that's going to calve late, sell them. And you can leave the bull in there. There's a lot of reasons to not have a bull in. But if push comes to shove, okay, leave him in there. You know, and then look around. There's there's some bull share opportunities. So if you've got a fall caver and you're a spring caver, the fall caver is your neighbor. Look at bull sharing. You can keep him six months. They can keep him six months. Um, uh, if uh, there's some some places that are leasable, you know, not too many, but some some people are leasable. Look at those options. But you need that. I mean, you know, if if it. it if my job required me to own a vehicle for 90 days out of an entire year, and that's, that's the only time I traveled, it went anywhere. I stayed home except for those 90 days. Why in the Sam Hill would I own a car for the whole year? I'm using it in 90 days. Well, it's more convenient. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. It could be. I don't know. That's well, odd, but you know, I, I, you know, I put the pencil to it a million times. It make it just makes more sense to me. The the one thing that to keep in the back of our mind, and I think this typically will happen, right? And as you move into this, or it takes more management. Typically, it pulls management levels up all the way around because now we're thinking about getting BSEs on bulls and. The next thing is, you know, make sure we, we keep our herd health program up because when we're introducing bulls from others or we're sharing bulls, um, we need to communicate with those folks too to make sure that our that our herd health protocols are, are up to par. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last thing you want is a little bit of trick. Yeah, yeah. So not that it can't be done and you know sometimes we frowned upon that or at least in the past i used to frown upon that because i was always concerned about the the introduction of you know some reproductive diseases but um it, as we think about management levels in general they tend to come up because we're working the cows more and it gives us those opportunities to get in there and do our vaccinations and keep those herd health protocols in place yeah i you know, I, I, I'm just going to encourage cattlemen to really think about the buy-sell option. 
because you buy a bull from a reputable seed stock producer that comes in with a BSE and you know he's healthy. <clears throat> Let's say you spend 3000 on him. You pasture him for three months, right? You put a little little feed on him maybe at the beginning, then you pasture him for three months, put a little feed on him at the end. And even if you take him to the stockyards and you get 1800 for him, well, you got a $1,200 investment in that breeding season, right? 3000 minus 18, 1200. And yeah, let's say you had 30 cows. Well, that's, you know, $40 a cow, which actually is exactly the same as if you kept that bull and fed him all year. Cause you know, bulls ain't cheap, Jeff, <laughs> you know, the normal, they're big and they eat a lot. They eat a lot. They tear up a lot and they're aggravating as heck. And I just, you know, Really, just just put a pencil to it, and and don't forget to add in the gate costs and the aggravation costs and the chasing the bull over at the neighbor's costs and all that other stuff, because you know the buy sell option not 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 a bad not a bad thought, okay. And if you're if you're really good at marketing, you you know you could buy a bull at three and sell him for twenty five, and now your investment on those forty cows is quite a bit lower. So, and I know people that buy them for three and sell them for 35. So you made money on that transaction. Right. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the other thing is just, you know, remember what we talked about on the age of those bulls and that, and what we're going to be doing that um, we think about, um, you know, the job and the task at hand that we don't want to come in there with a 15 month old bull to breed 30 synchronized cows. So, um, it makes that planning a little bit more, but you know, you can find some, some good young bulls out there that have been experienced that are being marketed. Absolutely. And sometimes they're a little bit cheaper. I don't know. It sounds weird, but sometimes your seed stock guys are kind of panicking a little bit on those, 18 to 24 month old bulls because they haven't got them sold yet and they got a lot of investment in them and they're wanting to move them. Um, sometimes you can get some pretty good deals on those bulls. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. Well, Les, I want to thank you for, for visiting with us a little bit about how we might utilize some extra synchronization and natural breeding programs to get a more uniform calf crop to increase our, our revenue at that uh, time that we market those calves and any last thoughts that you want to share when we think about uh, synchronization for cows as we move into that natural breeding system just you know plan a little bit make sure you're ahead of the game find a good mga product i mean there's several available at a lot of different feeds feed companies and i would recommend buying a pre-made product because you know uh, a mixing error can be can can be a, an issue because um, if you if you provide much more MGA than than you know you really want to you, you can't make too many errors on that so I would I would I'd recommend you buy a, a pre made product for the MGA um, from one of the you know Southern states or Berkman or any of the feed companies that are around that have that um, and just plan a little bit you know a lot of Pay attention to your calving, pay attention to your body condition score and implement the strategies that we've suggested and, and it'll work. I mean, it's, I mean, there's not a whole lot that I can stand behind with hundred percent confidence than, than the data that we have for natural service and it will work. Yeah. 
Excellent. Well, thanks again, Les, for joining us and, and sharing a little bit about estrus synchronization and how it might be a opportunity for us to increase the, the returns as we move into these kind of higher input cost type of years. And uh, we're trying to squeeze every little nickel back out of that, that system that we can to pay for those bills. And this is one of those kind of low-hanging fruit opportunities that we need to grab a hold on. This wraps up our discussion on controlling the calving season with my colleague, Dr. Les Anderson. I apologize for the poor microphone quality on these sessions as I was trying a new setup. I hope to be back with better quality in the near future as I get some new equipment in hand and try to make that work and sound better. Be sure to click on that like and subscribe button. Provide us with some feedback as this also helps others find the podcast and lets folks know what you think about the content that we are sharing. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Beef Bits podcast.